We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in to the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. I'm always joined by Justin Mello, and we are here to preview the playoffs just like we said we would. Justin, the what? how are you doing? Yeah. The what? Yeah. The playoffs? Okay. Playoffs? No, this is... Right. This, look, me and you, we've never... Correct me if I'm wrong. We've never done a show before Titans playoff game. We did. Did we? Not this podcast, but our old show. Not that we're not I, I know we're not going to mention. I know it wasn't this one. I thought we had started in the off season. Anyway, we did the AFC championship the game was our first preview. So the AFC chance, we're bad luck. We shouldn't even do this episode tonight. You know what? Sorry, everyone. The episode is canceled. You can turn it off. There Go is listen no to Edwards pod. Episode. Go listen to Coach's Corner instead. We apologize. We're going to we mail this in. This is like the Breaking Bad episode when Walter White spent the whole time trying to kill a fly. Yeah, this is the fly. We're just going to mail this one in. Uh, just kidding, everyone. We're here to preview the Baltimore Ravens this Saturday night. In order to give the Tennessee Titans good luck the night before the game, I'm going to be eating Nashville hot chicken for dinner. Yes, I'm in Canada. Round of applause. Yes, I'm in Canada. But Nashville hot chicken is kind of it's kind of take over here. We got a lot of Nashville hot chicken places here. It's a fad. I'll be honest, you know, I've been in Nashville a ton of times, so I'm an educated Canadian. Most of the places suck. Most of the places are not traditional Nashville at all. They're lying through their teeth. And sometimes I want to go up to the counter and call them liars, but I don't because I'm a good customer. I'm a nice person, but, and there is a but, there is this one place that is terrific, that does Nashville hot chicken right, and I'm going to be eating there this Saturday night in order to bring the Titans good luck. And if the Titans win the game, because I'm superstitious to a fault, I'll probably get it before every playoff game. My doctor won't be thrilled. It's not great for my health, but I'm going to do it for the boys. So if it brings them good luck. If it brings them good luck, you heard it right here on the Music City Audible. I will be eating Nashville hot chicken every single Saturday night. And shout out to the place. Can I shout them out? Is that okay? No free shout outs, but yeah. Chica's Chicken. It is called Chica's Chicken in Canada. And that's where I'll be eating Saturday night. So shout out to Chica's Chicken. And I'm going to show them this. And go Titans. Go Titans. We're looking to get a sponsor opportunity here. Calling all Nashville hot chicken places. We are open for sponsorship opportunities. So contact us if that feels cool. You'll be eating Nashville hot chicken every meal for the rest of your life if it works, which it will. We got our audio issues fixed. I don't know if you guys have been tuning in the last couple of weeks and hearing uh, some not so great audio, but we are all fixed on that front. So let's get into this episode, baby. A playoff match for the ages. Got to be the game of the weekend, at least in my opinion. Not just because we are Titans fans, but I mean, this is the this is the rivalry game. This is a rematch of the regular season. This has got everything you want. Brown Steelers is also those two things, but the Browns COVID situation is just crazy. So this is the game of the week. We're going to preview it. We got a great guest coming on in a bit. 
But before we get to that, let's talk about Derrick Henry, the king, 2,000 yards. You and I both said it was 100% going to happen, and we (laughs) were totally not wrong about anything that we predicted because we don't (laughs) – we're smart guys and we master predictors and Derrick Henry. What, what were your thoughts? I mean, it just felt like as the game unfolded, it was like a sure thing after the first quarter, maybe after his first which, long touchdown run, it just felt like it's going to happen. Which is crazy, right? Cause it's kind of a testament to how good he is. Right? And I feel like a jackass for obviously you were just kidding for saying last week that I didn't think it would happen. Cause as soon as the game started, I was like, this guy's not going to be denied. You know what I mean? He wants 2000. He's going to get it. And it's crazy how it feels like he can just make that decision. I know there's more to it, but it feels like, you know what? I want it. So I'm going to do it. 223 yards. Like you said, he need 223. It's not an easy feat. It shouldn't be easy, but it was. And you're right. As soon as he broke off that first t- long touchdown, which he didn't have a terrific first quarter, right? He had an okay first quarter. Certainly was not on pace to come anywhere near 223. But the first play of the second quarter, he breaks off that long touchdown run. I think it was about 52 yards, right? 52, 53 yards, I think it was. And that was it. You just felt like this is it. It's a shoe-in. He's going to get 223. Ended up getting 250, right? About 27 yards to spare. So it's incredible. What a player. What a personal achievement. I'm happy for him. You know, 34 carries. They they ran him in. You know, I, I imagine he's got a lot left in the tank. Normally, you'd worry about something like that heading into the playoffs, but I don't think that's the case with someone like Henry. I mean, we saw it last year, right? He had a ton of carries in that week 17 game. They needed to win to make the playoffs. It was against Houston in Houston as well, right? I think it was. And uh, he, he touched the ball a ton of times. He ran for over 200 yards on him and he had a lot left in the tank, right? He killed New England the week after and he killed Baltimore the week after that. So uh, what a player, what a personal achievement. You just got to be thrilled for him. I want to talk about him and the MVP award because I agree with everything you just said. And I want to talk about why he's not going to win MVP, even if he deserves it. And the reason is that he's not a quarterback. Quarterbacks win the MVP award. They've won nine of the last 10. Adrian Peterson is the only one who snuck in there. There's only been three running backs to win this award in the last 20 years. LT and Sean Alexander both won in back-to-back years, by the way, scoring 27 and 28 rushing touchdowns. That's 10 more than Henry, who led the league in rushing touchdowns this year with 17. So just put it in perspective, that is insanity, the way those guys were scoring touchdowns back then. But when, when points weren't being scored, right, at the rate they're being scored at today. True. Now, I will say they were being scored on the ground a lot more frequently than they right. are, than they were through sure. the air. Nowadays, I mean, Dan Marino, I, I just wrote a piece about arguing Henry's case for MVP on BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Go check that out. And what I, what I mentioned in that article is Dan Marino, back in 1984, beat out... Uh, Eric Dickerson, I believe, for the MVP. Eric Dickerson set the record at over 2,000 rushing yards, but Dan Marino set the passing record and had over four, had uh, over 5,000 passing yards and fifth and 48 passing touchdowns in 1984. Yeah. Guess how many passing touchdowns Aaron Rodgers threw in 2020? How many? The same number. 48. So not to, I'm not trying to take away from what Rodgers did. Rodgers had an incredible season. He was the best quarterback this year. 48 touchdowns, only five interceptions. There have been five other quarterbacks who threw for 4,299 yards this year. Rodgers threw and 48 touchdowns. Of the other five quarterbacks who did that, they all had eight interceptions or more. 
Only two of them had uh, only one of them had less than 10 interceptions. So Rodgers is in elite company here. Don't get me wrong. But Derrick Henry is the only running back besides Terrell Davis to have over 2000 rushing yards and over 15 rushing touchdowns. Davis had over 20 rushing touchdowns. Henry had 17, but Henry had more yards. And of all the players in NFL history to have 17 or more rushing touchdowns in a season, of which there are 31, Derrick Henry has the most rushing yards of any of them. And when you just put it into context of what he's doing in 2020, when the next closest leading rusher is 500 yards away, I mean, what he brings to this Titans offense, and, and I know Ryan Tannehill's been great. We, we've been touting how good Ryan Tannehill is without play action on traditional dropback passes on third downs when Derrick Henry is off the field for pass protection reasons. Tannehill has been amazing, but there are also plays when Tannehill and Henry are on the field together, when you just know you can just like Henry's value isn't measured statistically. Like when Ryan Tannehill fakes the handoff to him or, or read options it really and keeps the ball and has 50 yards of free grass to run to the end zone to, because the entire defense collapses on Henry that just shows you how valuable this guy is to the offense. I mean, where would the Titans be if Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols and Deonta Foreman and maybe some Darrington Evans with his hamstring injury were the running backs this year? Where would this team be? Look, I'm, I'm with you. And this is, this is a, you know, a, a crazy situation to me because Derrick Henry absolutely deserves the MVP award. Uh, but so does Aaron Rodgers, right? I agree with you. I think Rodgers was unbelievable this year, not taking anything away from him. Where would the Green Bay Packers be without Aaron Rodgers, right? They'd be just as bad as the Titans would be probably without Derrick Henry. So I agree with you, but we all know it's a QB award, uh, as you've mentioned. I fully expect Aaron Rodgers to win it. I would love to see a situation where there's co-MVPs. I really would, where they both win the award. We've seen it happen before. Titans fans will remember it happened right with Peyton Manning and Steve McNair. Uh, sharing it in the early 2000s. I'd love to see that happen this year because I don't think it would be disrespectful to either player for them to share the award, right? I, I think it would properly, uh, you know, it proper, that'd be a way to properly evaluate how important those two players are to their franchise. So I, I would really, really love to see them share it. But I, I, like you say, I expect Aaron Rodgers wins it solo. And the reason, I'm glad you brought that up. The reason Aaron Rodgers is going to win it solo is because I know you mentioned that there was a co-MVP. Obviously, Titans fans are very familiar. It's the only MVP that any Titans players ever won in the Nashville era. So obviously, that's a huge deal. But it's not like the people who decide this award got together and said, you know what, let's give it to both of them. And this is why I don't think Henry's going to win co-MVP. The reason McNair and, and Peyton Manning were co-MVPs that year is because they tied in the votes. They had equal amount of votes for MVP. So sure, there's a scenario where Derrick Henry could win MVP because, you know, if he gets, if they, sorry, there's a scenario where they could be co-MVPs if the voters tie, you know, and assuming that, let's say they each get 25 votes, you know, and there's no stray votes for Mahomes or Josh Allen thrown in there, then sure, they might give him co-MVPs. But I really think Henry's going to come in third or fourth in MVP voting if Rodgers doesn't win it unanimously outright, which he might do, I mean, he probably won't. There's going to be some guys who are like, I'm voting for Derrick Henry just because out of principle almost because they hate that it's a quarterback award. And I definitely think that, that we could see some of that, but unless they tie exactly, it's not like they can just decide these guys both deserve MVP. So let's give them co MVP. That's not how it works. So I've seen a right. lot of that on Twitter. So it it's took not, a big, fl- it took a big fluke in order for right. me, pretty much for McNair and right. 
Exactly. So I do think he wins offensive player of the year though, of the uh, previous seven 2000 runners, 2000 yard rushers. First of all, four of them did go on to win MVP. Um, the ones who didn't were Chris Johnson, who we already mentioned Eric Dick or sorry. Did I mention that? I'm not sure. Eric Dickerson. I definitely already mentioned. And the other one who didn't win was Jamal Lewis, who ironically that was 2003 when Peyton Manning and Steve McNair tied. And one of the reasons that Eric Dickerson didn't win despite setting that rushing yards record I already mentioned is because of how good Dan Marino was that year back in 1984, 5,000 passing yards was the record and 48 touchdowns was the record. So he set records in both categories. That's the kind of season that it takes for someone to run for 2000 yards to be up against, to lose offensive player of the year. Dickerson is the only 2000 yard rusher who didn't win offensive player of the year. And it's because there was a 5,000 yard passer who threw 48 touchdowns that season. So Henry is a shoe in lock to win offensive player of the year. I don't want to hear crap about Devonte Adams. I don't care that Devonte Adams scored more touchdowns than Henry Adams. Like you can't give the MVP to the quarterback and offensive player of the year to his receiver. Like that just devalues both awards so much. Like, I don't, I mean, just logically speaking, like they have to, one of them has to help make the other one. And if that's the case, then one can't be MVP and the other be offensive player of the year. So to me, Henry is a lock for offensive player of the year. I think you're right. And that's how I think they'll sort of justify um, him missing out on MVP. I, I think Rogers wins MVP and Henry wins offensive player of the year. All right. Well, that will do it for the pre preview. Now we'll get into the actual preview. Let's bring on our guest. Ken McCusick, he's known as Film Study. You can find him on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Check out his website, filmstudybaltimore.com. We're super excited to get the behind enemy lines scoop about Baltimore from you, Ken. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're excited about this game. This is a huge rivalry game, obviously, dating back to, you know, the AFC Central Division and all the Titans Baltimore playoff games that have been Seems like the underdog always goes to their team's house and upsets them when they're winning most. But we saw these teams play back in week 11. Game went to overtime. Obviously, very evenly matched teams. I don't think Baltimore was caught off guard this time around like they may have been in the playoffs last year. But I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit about what has changed for this Ravens team since that loss to Tennessee. Because I know they're on a roll. They've won five straight. It seems like they've gotten really hot almost since that game. What about it has changed? Is it, it's not just playing against a weaker slate of opponents, is it? This team seems to have come together. No, I mean, they're, they're playing very well right now. I'd say in terms of what they didn't have for the Tennessee game, they had, were missing two of their best linemen, and that really came to play. The Ravens activated only four defensive linemen for that game. That's always a mistake when you're playing a team like the Titans where you're going to have to play a lot of three-down linemen snaps. But beyond that, they had a lot of snaps for the Titans in that game, which went to overtime, of course, and they really wore down as the game went on and Henry became stronger and the, and the relatively speaking, and, and the uh, Titans ended up running for the win. Uh, this week, they had Brandon Williams back. The defense is always, the run defense is always a lot better with him in there. And Calais Campbell will also be back. And, uh, you know, you had some very overworked players the first time. I think that's the biggest difference between the teams. But the other thing is after Lamar Jackson missed a week with COVID, uh, he came back and he's, he's probably the best quarterback in the NFL the last five weeks. Uh, you know, you have a definitely a, a player who's reverted to his 2019 form and the run game is benefiting from it tremendously. 
Uh, and on defense, uh, Ken, I want to talk about that a little because you mentioned they've got it. You know, they only had four linemen in that game and and they should be in a lot better place going into this one. Correct us if we're, if we're wrong here, but I feel like there's zero doubt about what the Ravens are going to do on defense in this game, right? They want to pack the box, uh, play single high, run blitz like crazy uh, and force Tannehill to beat them on the outside. Would you say that's correct? I don't think it's that simple, honestly. I think you know they, they, you have to be careful about Tannehill and play action. That's definitely Tennessee's biggest weapon, even more so than Henry. And I think you, you got to worry about that. So there's really, I look at it as a kind of a triple threat, and I'm not even getting into A.J. Brown, but there's all the play action stuff Tennessee does. There's H- Henry and what he can do, which is obviously very significant. And there's Tannehill as a runner, which has been something in recent weeks that I've looked at and, and has been a, a, a problem for a lot of other teams. But it was particularly a problem for the Ravens in the first meeting So, uh, and in last year's playoff game. So it, it's something I think you need to watch all of those things. The Ravens have, I believe, a trick up their sleeve that we have not yet seen this season or we haven't seen since very early in this season that they may be able to go back to playing dime defense, which would make them, I think, much stronger against this Tennessee team on passing downs. And we have a joke around Broadway sports media that, that you've seen it on film lately, that Tannehill keeper, it feels undefeated. That, that the entire defense just kind of rolls right over to Henry. Soon as that fake goes and you saw him score, what a 50 yard touchdown in green Bay in the snow on one of those. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a difficult thing to defend. You know, one thing we, we talked about, and I talked about this Mike on my show, is that when you have a quarterback who's not known as a great runner, and Tannehill's a good runner, don't want to don't put him down anyway, but you, anytime you run a naked boot, it's got a better chance to work as a run or a pass play. When Jackson runs a naked boot, the edge defender is never fooled. And literally, that's something we keep track of on the offensive line sheet. We'll go zone block left, naked boot right, and then, and then 91 not fooled. And there's always somebody not fooled on a Jackson boot, but with Tan Hill or with Flacco, uh, there were people fooled on boots. That actually is an interesting point because the naked boot has been a problem for the Titans against some teams and it's had tremendous success against other teams. And it almost seems dependent on how that opponent is going to respond to Derrick Henry. Are they going to key everything on Derrick Henry or are they going to keep a contained defender out there responsible for that bootlegger? And if they do, because you know, the Titans are going to run play action off of it. When that free rusher is there and there's nobody, I mean, Tannehill doesn't often have a tight end or anybody there on those naked boots. That's why it's a naked boot. Sure. It's blown up. That play can be blown up in the backfield if it's defended right. The problem is, is it worth taking that pursuit defender out of the backside of your run defense? Right. Yeah, that's uh, Obviously, that's the danger. So you have to be very clear on who has the football, and that, that will hold up that edge defender a little bit more. But that edge defender, if he's in quickly, defeats the long ball generally. And the, the zone block left, no kid boot right that the Ravens always ran, and I assume the Titans run something similar, is designed to set up a pass down the right sideline at one of three levels. So you either you have the short outlet guy, but you're really trying to hit the hit a bomb on a vertical route or maybe a, a, a deep from the other side of the field, kind of a post route uh, to hit a long pass. And then you're trying to hit a guy who's crossing from tight end on the other side, all the way to the right sideline as your mid-level route. And then you have your short dump off route if you need that. And you know, if you're, if that edge defender is not fooled and he's in there quickly, it's usually a pretty quick check down to that third guy and usually a short gain or even incomplete. And one thing I want to get into, Ken, you, you mentioned there that you could see the Ravens having something up their sleeve 
this game yeah. defensively, right? Maybe not the plan that we expect. How difficult is it, I think, to surprise an opponent when you're playing them for the third time, right, in the last 12 months? And what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages uh, for both teams heading into this one that they are so familiar with one another? Yeah, that I mean, obviously dealing with the Steelers rivalry, this is something that always came up is that they basically was the same set of advantages and disadvantages every game. And and you did see some funky scheme things done, but it wasn't too much. This is a playoff game. And I think the Ravens, you know, know that the Titans have been their Achilles over the last, along with the Chiefs over the last 15 months or so. And this is a time where they're going to have to have something new to bring out. On, on offense, I'm always fairly convinced that's going to happen because Greg Roman is a very inventive guy and he really believes in layering in scheme, not just for big games, but week after week. And so he's been very effective at that. And they've done a, a lot of counter recently, much higher reliance on that. They actually lost a, a tight end, Nick Boyle, who's very key to their offense. And yet it's opened up a whole bunch of new scheme options for them offensively. So I'm really not concerned about, about that. On defense, the big thing that's been missing from the defense all year is a third safety that they trusted to be on the field to play dime. So last year, the Ravens, when they had a great defensive year, had 42.1% dime and quarter snaps, so six or seven defensive backs. So it's not quarters, that's the quarter seven defensive back uh, uh, defense. This year, they're down to 16.4% uh, dime snaps, which is just it's not in line historically with where the Ravens have been. They've been a great dime defense team the entire time they've been in Baltimore. And it's really disappointing that they, they weren't able to find that third safety. They've been having to play a linebacker on those downs. And it, he's just a little bit lost in coverage, has no idea what's going on behind him, uh, which has been an ongoing problem. So that's Chris Board. But uh, I think they, they, they signed a guy, J. Ron Curse, who was with the Lions and with the Vikings. I think he may be active for this game. If he is, I think we'll see him in dime packages. And they'll go back to that three and three, three safety, three corner dime that we've seen a lot of from the Ravens over the years. Interesting. I wonder if Jimmy Smith's injury has anything to do with that formation. He, he was playing safety at the beginning of the year. You know, They re-signed him at the last moment, but he was also the team's fourth cornerback or maybe the fifth, depending on how you thought about it. it was, he was really the fourth. And you know, Tavon Young hadn't been hurt yet, but then Tavon Young got hurt. And Jimmy Smith had to take over as the third corner, and he was fantastic when he was on the field. <laughs> and he's he's had about five different injuries this year, and each of them has been seemingly a different muscle, joint, rib kind of problem. So it's been a lot of different uh, things. But when he's been on, he's been terrific, and he played safety in the first couple of games uh, before they had to move him uh, to, to be that third cornerback. So – uh, he may move back to safety. It's possible. He's just started practicing again. I think the end of last week, he's been limited still this week, I believe. So, uh, you know, he may be back for this game. That would be a big, a big boost. But the, the guy that, that I really think is going to be the one who gets the playing time is J. Ron Curse. And he's a, a hulking safety, 6'4, 215, very facile at covering a tight end. He's any kind of slot snaps you see recorded for him anywhere, they're going to be slot sna uh, snaps covering a split tight end. So that's kind of his coverage niche, I'll call it. Uh, has some ability against the run, too, which I think could be helpful against Henry. But when they're in the dime package, it'll be on, on obvious passing downs. It'll be second and very long or, or third and medium to long. Random note for Titans fans who may recognize that name, Curse. Yes. Javon Curse is actually his uncle, so that's pretty funny. Um, yep. I, I want to talk about additions to rosters because the Titans signed a lot of guys in the offseason, you know, guys like Tadevion Clowney traded for Desmond King midseason, but they haven't had hardly any contribution from their rookie class. 
Meanwhile, the Ravens have had phenomenal contributions from J.K. Dobbins and Patrick Queen. How do you think those players can change this matchup for the Ravens in ways that the Titans don't have those new players? I mean, Jadeveon Clowney is out. So the, the guys the Titans tried to add to get better, obviously Vic Beasley cut, like their pass rush is non-existent. But the Ravens additions, at least those two, the first two picks have been outstanding players this season. So I'm curious what you think about that. Well, I, I would not call what Patrick Queen has done outstanding. Uh, there, there have been flashes where he's been a pretty good player, but most of the time, honestly, he's had a lot of trouble, particularly in coverage and also with tackling. And those are two elements here that could really hurt the Ravens against the Titans. I actually think he might get a reduced snap load in this game. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who is not, he, he's, he's had a lot of flash plays. There's been a lot of highlights that have been, wow, this is, this is great. This is speed. This is everything. Great pursuit player. Uh, he could be a spy on Tannehill that would be useful. He could be useful, you know, trying to make sure the edge gets stretched against Henry, but I, he's not the guy you want, you know, coming up into the gap to face Henry because he's just not big enough. Um, he, he's, he's also had a lot of problems just wrapping up. Just learning to play linebacker, I still think there's hope he's going to be a very good player. Um, his coverage mistakes have been spectacularly ugly this year. Uh, he, he does not know how to play or did not know early in the season. Let me, let me be clear about that. Zone coverage. He's got definitely gotten better, and he's gotten a lot better at covering man coverage on running backs uh, down the stretch. But he's, he still is very limited in terms of what he's going to do. And what I often say about young linebackers, and it is one of the last things you learn as an inside linebacker in the NFL, is he's got no idea what's going on in the passing game behind him, meaning he, he has no idea how to read the routes that will be run off the line of scrimmage to figure out how they'll go behind him and where is the optimal spot he can be integrate that information going on behind him. You see me pointing behind my head here uh, with the information he's getting from the quarterback's reads and eyes to try and figure out, okay, where do I need to be next? And any, any kind of play in mid-level between levels two and three, he's hopeless. So uh, uh, I think he's, he actually represents a, a target for Tannehill. And I think he'll be somebody that the Titans would go after The inside linebackers in general, definitely the Ravens weakest spot on defense. I want to get into a little of how you can you may ultimately see this game going, uh, Ken. One, one of the best NFL games of this regular season, in my opinion, was the Week 14 Monday night matchup against the Browns. That mm-hmm. ended 47-42 to 42, uh, in Baltimore's favor. To me, this feels like it could be a game where both teams really struggle uh, to get stops defensively. Can you see it going that way? Yeah, I, I can. Um, you know, if, if this is a low turnover game, which it, it could be, then you, you certainly see two teams that are going to have some trouble stopping each other. Uh, the Ravens probably have a little bit better circumstances in terms of if they can get the Titans into some unfavorable situations and you know, they can gamble to do it, run blitz, they can get holding penalties to do it. They can, you know, there, there are ways to, to, to get there, but if they get the Titans in third and medium, third and long, that's the Ravens. That's where the Ravens want to be. And, and if they can more, more so put the dime defense on the field that they've been missing all year. I think that could be a big advantage for the Ravens in terms of the run. I think both teams have the ability to run for four downs and make the other team feel pain for all four of those downs. And yeah, I just, you know, if there aren't a lot of fumbles in the game, I think that there's a, there's you know, good possibility that, that there's a very back and forth uh, a rushing effective football game. 
Yeah, I guess that's going to be the key probably is turnovers or, or stops that set up good field position because otherwise I could see both teams trading like six to eight minute long drives where they just dr- run up and down the field on each other. Um, Justin, let, let me say one thing about that because you, you made a great point there is you, 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 you talk about field position, but this is a game actually where coaches would tell you the field position is not the really important thing. It's the possessions because both teams can move the ball at will. If that's true, if we see that, if it's like that Cleveland game, you know, we're talking about, then you, you can't afford to give up a possession, even if it means you're getting the ball at the five yard line kind of thing. So you, you, you need to, you need to not give up possessions. You need to make sure you go for it more on fourth down and not play for field position. And that was one of the things that hurt Baltimore the most in the playoff game last year, obviously failing to convert on fourth oh, yeah. down. Big time. So we want to close out. We always close out by asking our guests to give us a prediction for this game. It could be a score prediction if you feel up to it, or if you just say, I think it's going to unfold in this manner. What do you think happens on Sunday, 12 o'clock, traditional kickoff time, nothing weird to worry about for either team when these t- teams take the field? I, I I think it'll be a very well contested game, and neither team I don't think can afford to get behind in this game. And so the team that scores first and and first to to get ahead by two scores, I think will win the game. Interesting, Justin. Do you have a counter? No, I think that's that's probably a fair point. And the Titans certainly don't want to play from behind in those situations. They're not built to do so. Uh, we've seen them really struggle. But in situations this year when that happens, we saw it in Green Bay. Yeah, that was a snowy wintry game. Certainly doesn't, uh, you know, favor them. But we saw it against Cleveland when they fell behind and how one-dimensional that made them. Uh, if the Browns can get out to, to, to a hot start, that, that'll be very difficult for Tennessee to come back. On the flip side, uh, I'll be very interested to see how Baltimore approaches this game. Because the, the mental aspect here, you know, every, everyone said that Baltimore was going to win that week 11 game. I really thought, okay, you've got the revenge factor at play. And I thought that was a fair point. And, and it was kind of surprising to see, you know, and, and Tennessee held them to 24 points. In today's NFL, that's a win. If Tennessee holds anybody to 24 points nowadays, they're going to win because the offense is putting up 30 plus, it feels like on a weekly basis. So it'll be very interesting to see how Baltimore handles the mental aspect of this game. And Lamar Jackson has five turnovers in two playoff games. He's got to clean himself up there. You mentioned the importance of possessions. So I think turnovers and yeah, possessions, like you said, those are going to be the crucial elements. And it's funny, Patrick Queen, you mentioned his tackling problem. I'm pretty sure he was the main guy who got to AJ Brown first in overtime uh, who couldn't get the stop against him. I think back to the play, I've kind of blocked it out, but I know I could see AJ Brown carrying three guys in the end zone. That was <laughs> to, to get the ball. I think that took the game to overtime, actually, at the end of regulation. Took, so. Yeah, it took, took it to overtime, I was going to say. Yeah, Derek Henry, Henry, Henry finished it off with a 29-yard run. All right, well, that is going to do it for us here with Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. Ken McCusick, again, you can find him on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Check out his website, filmstudybaltimore.com. And for more about this potential matchup, check out his podcast with Mike Herndon, Mike at Mike Miracles, our very own uh, Broadway sports analyst and, and personality. So be sure you guys go check that out. Appreciate you, Ken. Okay, no problem, guys. Talk to you later. Take care. do 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 All right, well, that's it for this episode of the Music City Audible, I guess. I should give a prediction before we get out of here. My prediction is the Titans uh, lose. I'm sorry. I don't see it. I just don't see it. The defense is not good. Like you said uh, with Ken a moment ago, the revenge factor, obviously it wasn't maybe as important in, in the regular season back in week 11, but the playoffs are different beast. The Titans ended what was one of the greatest regular seasons 
last year before they even before the Ravens even had a chance to like make any noise in the playoffs. Titans came in and said, nah, you're done. And the Ravens had done that to the Titans back in 2008 when the Titans went 13 and three and got the one seed. And in their first home playoff game, the six seed Ravens came in and beat them 13 to 10, obviously injured Chris Johnson in the first half. We all remember how that game went down with the no call and the delay of game penalty, whatever I'm over it. But the point is these teams seem to have each other's number in the playoffs when the road team is traveling to play the other team. So I'm terrified. I'm terrified of the trend. I'm terrified of trying to beat a team three times in a calendar year. I would have to say that I think Baltimore wins 30 to 24. I think they're going to be so focused on stopping Derrick Henry that they might be successful, just like the Browns were, kind of like the Steelers were. It's a tough run defense with Clayus Campbell and Brandon Williams in the middle. Neither guy was there last time. You got so Yannick and They both missed that last game, huh? They both missed that last game. Oh boy, you yeah. got Yannick and Gakwe who abused David Quisenberry, or or maybe it was still Tyson Brelo, or maybe it was both. I, I don't quite remember actually who was playing by week eleven, but whoever it was was not well matched, not well suited to match up with Ngakwe. So I just, I mean, maybe the Titans' offense continues their dominance, but if you look at when they score forty points this year. Outside of that Buffalo game, it was against really bad defenses. In that Buffalo game, the Buffalo defense had – had uh, there was a lot of weird COVID stuff going on that week, so you can kind of understand how they may have been a little discombobulated. But I don't know, man. I, uh, see, I have a really hard time picking a winner in this game, and I'll be honest with you because – one thing you said that I absolutely agree with, well, obviously the def- you said the defense is bad. I mean, we all know that. But the other thing that strikes me is, and, and I'm a pessimist and I always have been when it comes to sports, but it, I think it's really tough to beat a team three times in 12 months. And that's what strikes me the most here. But then again, I thought Baltimore was certainly going to win that week 11 game, right? Just, just off the revenge factor from the playoffs alone. And they didn't. And they only put up 24 points despite playing five quarters. And in, in today's NFL, that's a win, right? When you hold a team 24 points, especially when you're the Titans that scores points at will, uh, you're almost guaranteed to win that game. With that said, I, I still, you know, I, I hate the thought of having to play a team three times in 12 months and having to beat them all three times. So that's really what, what makes me pessimistic about this game. On the flip side, and, and this is why I said I don't really know how to call it, um, I, I, I do think there's something mental here that the Titans have over the Ravens. Uh, I, I really do. And, you know, they, they obviously shocked them in the playoffs last year. I, I think back, I think back to a couple, you know, or early in the season when the Ravens lost to the Chiefs. And you'll remember this because I had actually uh, I had actually tweeted it out uh, in the postgame presser when Lamar Jackson was asked, uh, what did the Chiefs do on defense? And I was shocked when, you know, when he said, uh, honestly, uh, exactly what the Titans did in the playoffs last year. So uh, and the Titans went out in week 11 and played good defense again, in my opinion, against him, right? Again, holding them to 24 points is a win. So as bad as this defense has been, um, they, they played pretty well, right, in that week 11 game. So uh, I do wonder about the mental aspect here and if Baltimore uh, is strong enough to, to overcome this. Because like Ken mentioned, they certainly have to feel like the Titans are their Achilles heel at this point. So uh, I got a really tough time calling it. I think it's going to be a really close game and it's going to, I think it comes down to one, maybe one critical mistake that one of the offenses make um, or or a big play on defense on the flip side uh, that ends up deciding this game. And we talked a lot with Ken there about the importance of possessions and turnovers and everything. And 
I don't think turnovers are necessarily fluky, but I also don't think they're not fluky, especially fumbles and like fourth and short plays where whoever gets the off the line best could 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 win the play. And in the playoffs, the, the Ravens had three actual turnovers and four failed fourth down conversions. The Titans had zero failed fourth down conversions. They had zero attempts and zero turnovers. So that seven possession swing is huge. And we saw how big of a factor that was when Tennessee was able to get the, the uh, touchdown to Khalif Raymond right after stopping a team on fourth down. And when you look at how the Titans were able to beat the Ravens back in this, earlier this season, it was a lot better. They didn't have any failed fourth. The Ravens didn't have any failed fourth downs and the teams each had a turnover. So it was pretty even in that matchup. Titans won by a touchdown, obviously in overtime, pretty even again. And the Titans actually outgained Baltimore 423 to 306. Whereas in the playoff game, the last time they met the Ravens outgained the Titans. This is mind blowing 530 yards to 300 partly because of all the turnovers. Tennessee had short fields. They didn't have as much yardage available to gain. And because Baltimore would make have a long drive and then not punt the ball, but go for it on fourth down and not convert, which obviously that's how you get yards. Titans backed up the defense a lot towards the end of the game and allowed the Ravens to pick up yards underneath to not give up the big play. But I guess my point is the Titans did win earlier this year without the fluke, fluky, I put that in air quotes, fluky turnovers, that they needed to win in the playoffs last year, but also lots of players missing for Baltimore's defensive line. Anyway, that's it. I'm out of analysis for this game. Do you have anything else? <laughs> uh, I don't. It's going to be interesting. I'll, I'll end on the note where you mentioned you talk about turnovers there. Uh, as bad as this defense has been, they've been pretty good at, at creating turnovers, right? They force, a, they force a lot of fumbles. You got guys like Amani Hooker who have four interceptions. Uh, Malcolm Butler, I believe, has about four as well. So, as bad as this defense has been, they've, they've been pretty all right when it comes to creating turnovers, especially opportune turnovers. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this game goes. I, I, I truly can't pick a winner. Uh, I think there are, are strengths and weaknesses to both sides here, but I think it's going to be really close. I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to have that playoff atmosphere. I think it's going to be rough. Uh, these two teams obviously don't like each other very much. Everyone remembers the Titans gathering on the midfield logo where, where John, John Harbaugh really didn't like that. When wait, Mike wait, can Rabel- we clear this up really quick? The Titans do that before every game, home or away. Every game, there's, right. I, I think no people know that by now. Logo right. disrespect. I don't know if Zach knows right. that. Did you see what Zach tweeted earlier today? <laughs> uh, I, I don't pay. Zach's tweets, I mean, who can keep up? Did he spell everything right, at least? <laughs> Talking about, he did. Talking about at F-Words pod, where he suggested the Titans grounds crew uh, should troll the Ravens by removing the logos right. from the field so they have nothing to step on. But I don't think the Ravens are going to come out on the field looking for a logo to step on. They're looking for a team to step on. And right. one last X factor I want to throw out there before we wrap this up for real is the red zone. Both of their last two matchups, the Titans won. The Ravens were one for four in the red zone. Titans were three for three in the playoffs last year. Only two for five earlier this year. But Titans defense, as bad as they've been for most of the season, has come up with clutch red zone stops when they needed them most. I think that that could be the X factor. If this defense can force Justin Tucker onto the field, who you know is Mr. Automatic, is going to make kicks, hook him Longhorns. You know Justin Tucker is going to make his kicks, but you could have another situation where Baltimore wants to go for it on fourth down if you if you get a stop in the red zone. And that can lead to a possession where they don't get points and all those things. So X factor to pay attention to. 
especially early in the game. Like if the Titans defense is a sieve, like they've been all year and Baltimore drives right down the field, but has to kick a field goal, both mentally and on the scoreboard that can play a big role in helping the Titans either stay in the game or come out ahead. I agree. I think uh, the red zone is going to be huge. And again, if the Titans can can hold them to field goals instead of seven, then that, that's a huge advantage for either team, right? It's a huge advantage uh, for either team. Another thing, and I know Sam Sloman uh, played a role in this or was a factor. Mike Vrabel went for it on fourth and 11 last week. Fourth and 11 in a must in a, in what he, I imagine, considered a must-win game. Yes, they were already in the playoffs, but a must-win game. So I wonder how aggressive he's willing to get. He, like, let's not play games. He knows the defense isn't very good. He's not blind. Played defense. He knows they're not very good. I wonder how aggressive he's willing to get now that it's a do-or-die situation, right? Now that we're in the playoffs and it's win or go home. Uh, I, I'm very curious to see how he handles certain fourth down situations where maybe in the maybe in week seven, he kicks a field goal, but maybe he goes for it here, right? It'll be very interesting to see. I totally agree. So things to keep an eye on for sure. All right, that will do it for this episode of the Music City Audible. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. We got tons of Titans content, previews and articles and stuff like that. Also got Predators content up there. New Predators writer Marin Angus is doing a great job pumping out articles on the Preds. Speedway soccer guys are always doing their thing covering Nashville SC and and the U.S. men's national team also. So check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Check out shop.broadwaysportsmedia.com and get yourself a too fast, too Derek, 2K t-shirt. In my personal opinion, the best 2K Derek Henry t-shirt you can get out there right now. Obviously, I would think that since I designed the shirt, but hey, check out the shirt, buy yourself a shirt, have a shirt to wear, in the offseason, which might get here faster than we hope because the Titans defense is so bad. But we'll Bite hope your tongue. <laughs> we will hope to be back next week previewing a playoff game. We'll be back regardless. Whether we're previewing the offseason or the playoffs <laughs> remains to be seen. And I love doing this on the fly. If I got to go ahead and get us another great guest next week, we don't know who they're going to play if they're playing someone, but we'll have another great guest next week. Ken was terrific on this. I hope everyone enjoyed this. This was probably, we've had so many great guests this week, not to pat ourselves uh, this year. I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we really have had a lot of great guests on this show, but this might've been the most X's and O's focused preview that we've done. And, and that was great. Ken really knows his stuff and uh, looking forward to this game. Absolutely. All right. If you're a Titans fan out there who thinks that Titan, the Tennessee Titans can win, root for the Colts and the Browns. That way the Colts can go play the Chiefs or the Browns. If either of them win, they're taking on the Chiefs and the Titans will go play the Bills who they've already beaten, which you could view as a good thing or a bad thing if you're into the whole revenge factor angle. But regardless, root for the Colts. I know it hurts to say and it hurts to do hurts to do that to root for the Colts, but it's better for the Titans in the long run. You want to put off that matchup with Kansas City as long as possible when you have a defense like Tennessee's. All right, that's going to do it. BroadwaySportsMedia.com presented by 440 Sports. We are the Music City Audible. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. Like I said, we'll be back next week. Until then, tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.